Weekly waits, Will goes on dates And Hayes is late But we're still mates And as of late We educate and postulate About the gym I lift more than both of you combined Oh yeah, this is Weekly Waits with Alex and Will Welcome to, Welcome Weekly to episode Waits. 41 of Weekly Waits. Alex is trying to jump in because <laughs> we're just talking off air about a mutual friend who runs a lot of gear. And I was talking about how it's superhuman Will. big... Yeah, it's me. I was talking about how superhuman big he is. That's how you know it's me. <laughs> I was saying he pisses uranium. And Alex goes, is that that thing from Borat? And I said, what? And he goes, oh no, that was potassium. <laughs> yeah, you know when he sings the anthem? Yeah, and then he goes on. Do you know the scene? It's confusing because they have eum at the end of them, just like literally, almost every element. To be honest, magnesium, lithium, beryllium, beryllium. Good one, actually, Alex. Calcium, helium, helium is true. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, it, oxygen. Point is, <laughs> Alex's chemistry. Chemistry. Not just, it's not quite. I should have said plutonium to be fair, and then you would have known better. You know? This is a terrible intro. <laughs> back. <laughs> oh, anyway, Alex is back on the show. Hello. Um, the level of discourse has gotten much less scientific. Um, we're going to leave chemistry behind and instead today, what are we talking about? So we're going to talk about eight things or eight ways you can improve your training nutrition. So this is a little bit clickbaity, but you know, it's, it's a you're, little bit you're, here, you're here listening. You clicked, so well, it I mean, works. It's going to be more clickbaity because you, we were going to call it the things we hate most in powerlifting. Yeah, that was a bit. That was a bit slack. Yeah, it was a bit slack, especially because we submitted a document that said each other. <laughs> um, yeah, that was points <laughs> one through ten. Yeah, that was the planning process. So instead, we changed it to things that you could probably improve, or at least I would say things that are maybe attitudes and practices that are a little bit commonplace that are probably not as self-serving as people would believe. Yeah, so the common thre- common trends that we see that could probably be better, bettered, bettered. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, what's the first one um, that you wrote so down? The first one that I wrote down was justifying being fatter than necessary because powerlifting. So case in point, Alex, after his holiday, who's come back looking like an absolute cloud. <laughs> I'm squished into the corner of my room right now recording this because the Michelin man's <laughs> occupying about two thirds of it. Alex, tell the people how much you came back weighing. Oh, I was uh, 90.85 how tall on are you? Saturday morning, five, eight and a half. Oh, that's actually, I mean, that's not that bad by powerlifting standards. Which no, probably, I'm like skinny for powerlifting standards. <laughs> which brings us which back is, to this the, is the problem. Um, but you are an 85 kilo powerlifter. Yes, correct. Allegedly. Um, yeah, yeah. When I just make weight. You're like a, without saying that there's anything wrong with them, you're a bit like a plus size model, really. You're not quite what's on the label. When, when people hear 85 kilo powerlifter and then they see you, they go, oh, look at that. <laughs> Defying expectations. Enough about me. Yeah, enough about Alex. So justifying being fatter than necessary. I am going to call Alex fat for like an hour. I'm justifying being fatter than necessary because powerlifting. So why is it a problem? Well, particularly when you're in a weight class, if you want to be genuinely as competitive as possible, you need to be carrying as much lean tissue as possible. So fat tissue doesn't contract, doesn't help us actually move low, doesn't help us actually lift. It can help with leverages, but only really when we're talking about like being in unlimited classes or being in really heavy classes. Yeah, I think probably the advantage to being a little bit fat is actually not so much in being fat itself. It's almost in like the getting bigger 
aspect. You know, when you have the extra fuel coming in, you're putting on weight, you can train harder, you recover better, you get a little bit more return yeah. on the work that you do. But that's not to confuse that with actually getting a performance benefit from being fat. And I think until you got very, very lean, like to the point where leanness itself was meaning that your, you know, your recovery was diminished, you were sleeping poorly, like your testosterone levels drop as a man, like, you know, approaching contest lean, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's probably an advantage to just being leaner for the reasons that you said that you want to actually carry as much lean tissue on your frame as you can. Yeah. So I think um, part of this kind of comes from where we started following powerlifting, elite FTS, West Side, all that kind of stuff. And mostly what you see is super heavyweight guys or heavyweight lifters and a lot of them aren't lean and it kind of puts this notion in your head that all powerlifters are fat and then it kind of, when you begin doing powerlifting, it becomes sort of okay to be fatter than you need to be. Yeah, I have two thoughts on that. One is, this is actually not really a thought, it's just a tangent. Have you seen those memes where it's like, which physique would you rather have? And they've got the kind of like line sketches and they've got the bodybuilder who's got like a narrow waist and wide shoulders and like he looks kind of aesthetic in the ziz sense. And then they have like the power lifter. People might know this. It's almost like a silhouette, like he's just shaded in. And the yeah, power it's like, it's like quote unquote mesomorph or whatever and like massive waist. Yeah, well, he's got a big waist, but he's got the biggest shoulders and traps, like genuinely looks like the Hulk. And when I looked at them, I actually thought the power lifter was probably a... Uh, better physique for mine so it's larry wheels yeah it's more like larry wheels than like you know just chubby powerlifter no i'm um, the actual point that was just a tangent look those memes up though they're great um and you'd probably rather be a powerlifter but no the actual point i was going to make was i think that's true to a degree and i think that's probably what like began the stereotype of powerlifters are kind of out of shape and like to lift um <laughs> which is maybe true <laughs> um but but another thing I think is that a lot of people get into powerlifting because they like going to the gym, but they almost see it as like a reactionary step back from the the fitness culture of being all about how you look and being sort of like a poser and caring only about your physique. And on the one hand, I think that's understandable. And that's one of the great things about powerlifting is you can look at yourself as like an athlete and say, how can I improve my performance? All those things that I think are healthy. But if you take that too far, then instead of thinking like, you know what like what can i do with my physique to i guess perpetuate better performance you start just coming out the other end and being like oh you know like i don't identify with that crowd that care about how they look therefore i'm going to look like shit to make a statement you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. it's like when you get into the gym and you really start to like training it seems like there's two avenues of that you can go with it and one of them is bodybuilding and the other one is powerlifting those are kind of the main two yeah and if you're opposed to you know restricting yourself with calories you don't want to. You don't want to necessarily get lean. You like eating food and stuff like that. You kind of go into the other camp and you say like, okay, I can. I could never be a bodybuilder. I'm going to do powerlifting, mm. and that kind of self justifies overeating or just being fatter than you need to be. Yeah. So I guess if I were to maybe put a like put a positive or applied spin on this, what I think would be a better attitude is preserve that like, or preserve the absence of the myopic focus on your physique because obviously powerlifting is not a physique sport per se but still consider yourself an athlete um you know you don't have to go after crazy levels of leanness but eat well eat to facilitate performance um have a plan of filling out your weight class and rather than you know unless i'll get back to this in a moment but yeah rather than just thinking i'm basically just going to jam food down my gob and lift weights here and there think of actually building a physique that is conducive to powerlifting and you know assess your body from a muscular level and from from a body composition level and say how can i actually make myself 
fill out my weight class better and perform a little bit better. And the little addendum I was going to put to that is if really powerlifting is your hobby because you just like lifting weights and you don't really give a crap how you look, then that, that's actually all well and good as well. And you can go in and lift weights and eat like crap and be fat. And that's fine. Um, but I do think it would be good for the sport in general to move away from this idea that I guess fatness is the normal, fatness is good. Because I don't think either is really true, particularly in the lighter weight classes. Well, we've seen this trend kind of come in anyway like what you've been saying like people are getting leaner and they are caring more about the body composition and that's great um and that's definitely great for the sport mm. so i think from a from a standpoint of improving your body composition or filling out a weight class or whatever you need to have a plan and you need to just try and be continually chipping away don't go from really fat to trying to be really shredded just chip away and improve gradually over time yeah. just like you would with your lifting yeah and um and also just like we've said so many times in like you know the long-term development podcast and stuff there are times in your training when you should actually probably emphasize making body composition changes as opposed to just focusing on strength and that's something that we'll probably come to in our later points here as well is yeah body composition is an important part of the sport um you should probably treat it as such unless it's really just like a no-go for you because you don't care um side note who do you reckon has the best physique in powerlifting i've got one immediately in my mind oh that 80 that 83 junior in the ipf that the u.s u.s guy, guy. charlie dixon yeah yeah that guy's Insane. fucking yoked or think, uh russ or he yeah he's also got a crazy physique but yeah charlie dixon he i think he did actually 74s last year at worlds and then he went no, to 83s no, no, or 83 93 oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen him, I don't think I've ever in my life seen somebody so jacked. Like, well, I mean, I definitely have. I've like You've seen... looked in the mirror, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've seen like Ronnie Coleman, but <laughs> I'm talking like within reason. He is the most jacked dude. Like, just crazy. Um, and he's a really good lifter as well. Just one more point. Obviously, as powerlifters, our goal is to be as strong as we can. Mm -hmm. So, as far as nutrition goes, we want to be eating in a surplus or at least at maintenance for majority of the year. Yeah. So when we do plan to put on weight or eat in a surplus, we should be doing that for long periods of time. And then as we go to cut, make those short and sharp and then get straight back into being a surplus or maintenance. Yeah. I tend to think that's, I tend to think that's good advice. Just general advice. Yeah. And uh, again, like, like we always talk about with training, if you couple eating in a small to moderate surplus with training, that's conducive to putting on some size and building strength you'd be surprised how much good that can do for your physique. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was number one, is just, yeah, basically using powerlifting as an excuse to be a little bit chubby. Um, number two, and not quite the opposite side of the coin, but related, is restricting yourself to a lightweight class. Um, again, Alex, why is this a problem? So these two points were actually brought up by Alex. I think they're good ones, though. So this is a problem because... What we talk about a lot, our philosophy about training and lifting and powerlifting and competing is being the best lifter that you can be in 10 years or, you know, maybe in eight years or whatever the case is. Mm. Um, so putting yourself in a lighter weight class and sort of halting on your gains and deliberately shortcoming, like restricting your progress you can make is obviously not a good idea. So it, let's say, like, let's take me for example. When I was younger, I used to lift in 74 and I did put a stall on my progress because I refused to go up a weight class and I was limiting myself to that weight class. And I look back on it now and as soon as I went up, like I made so much more progress mm. and I should have done that in the first place. I think something that's interesting about this is that most people, I probably say this, I reckon I've said this five or six podcasts running now, um, 
most people who get into powerlifting do so because they like lifting heavy weights and they like getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of those same people also end up doing, like you said, restricting themselves to a lighter weight class and trying to bump their numbers up. Um, but doing so, like by restricting themselves to a lighter weight class, they slow their progress down and it's almost like there's this internal conflict where they're trying to stay competitive in the short term or trying to stay lean if that happens to be what they care about. And then they're not seeing progress on the metric that they supposedly care most about. And I think it can fuel a lot of dissatisfaction with the sport um, or not with the sport per se, but like with your return on investment because training does get hard, particularly when you're like right at the top of a weight class and trying to eke out like incremental gains. Um, It gets really hard. And so I think probably keeping your eyes on the prize of like, hey, I want to get stronger long term and letting you like letting yourself see your body weight tick up towards your natural weight class and then oscillating oscillating within a I don't know like five or eight percent body um, body weight range for a while in a planned fashion and really trying to put some muscle on that frame and then then letting it tick up again will probably actually see you get more return on the thing that you signed up for which is getting stronger and if you're getting stronger you're probably going to enjoy powerlifting I know I enjoy powerlifting the most when I actually see progress right yeah and another big thing with that is people see the weight classes like you know let's take the IPF weight class for instance you see 74 and then you see 83 people assume that that means you have to be 74 or you have to be 83 like they don't see that in between range as as an option at all Mm. and like if you're 78 kilos why can't you just be an 83 competing at 78 kilos for six months yeah i actually i don't see how it matters outside of high level competition yeah 100 percent um you know weight classes are at a local comp pretty arbitrary like it's one thing if you're going in with the intention to complete uh, to compete i should say head to head against somebody but in almost every other respect if you just sign up at a competition weigh what you weigh and do the best you can you know then you're probably going to be perfectly happy with the result yeah and again something we say all the time is you want your meat to sort of encapsulate or i guess like realize the gains that you've earned in your hard training so when you when you do an abrupt cut for a meet for nearly no reason and then you only see you know 90 percent of the results you could have that's just a little bit of satisfaction left on the table for nothing except a silly number of what your weight class is yeah you want to be you want your competition result to be a reflection of what your training was exactly yeah um, you have anything else to say about that? Um, no, similar to the point we made on um, justifying being too fat is like plan your nutrition accordingly. So yeah. if you are between weight classes and you still want to get stronger and you, let's say, are under-muscled, you should be eating in a surplus, etc., etc. And then when you do get a little bit fluffy, then it's time to cut down and stuff like that. So I guess just period- periodizing your nutrition and planning what your body weight will be and should be yeah basically i mean basically that and i think even if you don't want to go hard on the actual on the actual like dieting phases and you know planning it around your training really hard you can also pretty much just set yourself a cap weight where you say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna let my weight drift up i'm gonna eat enough to fuel training plus some let my weight drift up and when it gets to x number so say it's 95 kilos or whatever um, you know, at X number, I'll reassess what my body composition's like, and maybe that'll be time to trigger a cut. And if you get to 95 and you're like, well, I got three or four weeks left in this strength block, maybe I should wait until after testing to do a cut, then sweet, you can just maintain. But even doing that just gives you enough long term vision to say, okay, I've got a plan of roughly where I want to be and what I'm going to do when I get there. Um, but yeah, plan, basically. Yep. Okay. Let's go to number three. You wrote 
you wrote a point for number three and I wrote a point that I submitted and they're very similar. So why don't we introduce it with my point? Because we've done two of yours. Well, they're the same thing, so I don't mind. Okay. Well, I'm going to introduce it with my point. Um, so what well, I wrote... Will thinks he wrote his better than mine. I did write it better than I don't yours. think he did, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's those differences of opinion that make this a good podcast. Um, I wrote unnecessary minimalism in movement selection and programming, not doing general work and bodybuilding. And then I also wrote, as a side note, specializing in powerlifting much too early. Um, we'll get to that after we've spoken about this. Um, Alex wrote very little undulation in training volume specificity and intensity which I think is encapsulated in what I said but doesn't capture the whole of it which is why I preferred mine um why (laughs) 3a 3b 3c yeah exactly all right um why is unnecessary minimalism in movement selection and programming not good um and why is not doing general work not good so it's not it's not even that it's not good um Tacking on a little bit to what I was saying to JP last week about specificity and transfer. If you haven't listened to that, please do so we can get our metrics up. Um, Generally, doing the power lifts is the most specific and transferable thing you can do, which makes sense because, you know, if you want to get better at deadlifting, then deadlifting is a good start. Same for squatting, same for bench. Um, However, there is a trend among certain powerlifters, just like there's a trend in the other direction of barely doing any powerlifting and just bodybuilding and then going to a meet. Um, there's a trend among some individuals where they pretty much won't do anything that isn't a squat or a very close variation, a bench or a very close variation, or a deadlift or a very close variation. And while that is largely very good because it satisfies the requirements for powerlifting development, I do think it leaves a little bit on the table. One is that sometimes it's an inelegant investment of your time and training effort if you have a very specific weakness, often doing specific exercises, even even specific exercises that are far removed from powerlifting. So say you have a you have a hamstring weakness, sometimes doing a Nordic hamstring curl can be just a slightly better use of your time because you get really targeted training of that muscle that needs work without as much systemic fatigue. So, you know, doing very general stuff can be very useful. That's number one. Number two, and sort of tied to that point, is that when you only ever really do the power lifts, um, the power lifts themselves, because they are really big, broad-based movements, they sort of, um, for lack of a better term, they can induce a lot of systemic fatigue um, that you otherwise wouldn't get if you were willing to do some isolation work or some more targeted, slightly more general work. So the actual amount of training you can get through is lower or is usually lower if all you ever do is big barbell movements. Now, I mean, the trade-off is obviously that they're they're more specific to the movement patterns as a whole, but you've got to at some point weigh up what the cost is of not doing stuff that is um, that is less recovery intensive, but more targeted to what you need. That's number two. And then number three, and this is, um, this is part of what I meant with the specializing thing, is that I think it's actually really valuable to develop some sort of general movement skills across multiple planes using lots of muscles develop some muscular awareness and things like that that you don't really get from just doing powerlifting and um i'll probably expand on that when alex and i are probably discussing it and i've finished my monologue but i think there's actually just some value in being a bit more well-rounded than just being a barbell lifter and i think that really pays dividends down the track for longevity and for technical mastery and stuff 
Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. Um, what did you want me to go into more detail on? You weren't listening, were you? You were definitely on Instagram while I was talking my, then. I have my notes right here. I've been, I was sitting here. I wasn't looking at you, but I was sitting. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> All right. Um, did, did you actually listen to episodes while you were overseas? I did. A little bit or a lot? Like uh, I listened to all of them. Oh, thank you. I was wondering who those three downloads were. We, <laughs> we had lots of um, time on planes and buses and stuff, so I yeah. had time. You were North America and Central America, right? Or North America. North America and Mexico, yeah. Mexico is technically North America. Yeah, it was, I consider it Central America. That's it. Just yeah. North America and Mexico. So just North America, really? Yeah. Um, anyway, what did I want you to expand on? Well... What do you reckon the drawbacks are, I guess, of only ever really doing barbell movements or only ever doing the competition movements? Well, I think the first thing is risk of injury. Um, when you're constantly doing the same pattern over and over again, you're just hammering and hammering and hammering your joints and your joints and your the angles of everything are just always the same and you have no sort of diversity there and you're building strength in only one plane. So if you misgroove a squat, for instance, and all you've done is low bar squat, you're not going to have any musculature around there to help you get out of that if you've completely misgrooved it. And that's when you're going to sort of see those wear and tear injuries or even just an actual injury. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing is injury. The second thing is um, hypertrophy. So if all you do is low reps of squat, bench and deadlift and not a lot of isolation training or work that sort of is targeted at stuff that you miss with the main lifts, you're going to then have imbalances and then that's going to further increase your risk of injury. Um, what else? Uh, I spoke about the sort of extra fatigue cost of just doing like barbell work as opposed to more targeted isolations. Like it's just more tiring. Yeah. So I guess like marginal return on exercises. Yeah. So the more you do something, the I guess the better you get at it, the more efficient you get at it. So then it's not as disruptive to the system. So if you were to do something that is targeted at a weakness, for instance, you could probably get away with doing less for the similar return. I actually was coming at it from the other angle, but that's a well-made point as well. So what I said was, the good example is like developing your hamstrings with, you know, doing some Nordics or GHRs or something, um, as opposed to just doing deadlifts, where deadlifts, you know, they like they cause so much fatigue to your spinal erectors, everything else. Like they take time, they're really taxing, you're tired. Whereas if you do two-thirds of your normal deadlift volume and then follow it up to address your weaker hamstrings with Nordics, you don't have those strong muscles taking over um, taking over and taking away from your hamstring stimulus. You don't get the extra fatigue to those other muscles or like the systemic fatigue you do and you have the sort of decreased injury risk and you have the extra targeting of stimulus at those muscles. Yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. Um, also, if there's little undulation in training intensity, you're not doing any specific work targeting technique yeah. and everything's just heavy and hard, um, you're going to develop bad habits which is again going to increase your risk of injury and you just t teaching yourself to be a bad lifter yeah <laughs> teaching yourself to be a bad lifter i actually um two points again remind me of the second point because i'll forget it in making the first okay remind remi job. what remind that there is a second point yeah okay uh, and god knows whether i'll remember it but <laughs> i'll just say oh i don't know man um i've forgotten the first point while we're here um no okay the first they're related the first point was that if you only ever sorry i should say most people, as weird as this sounds, most people don't only get really good at, say, squatting, which is actually a, it's a simple, like, it's a simple movement skill, but it's still comprised of a number of movement skills. Most people don't only get good at squatting 
by just squatting. You need to actually sort of address a few of the requisite skills in squatting. You know, whether it's things like bracing or or whatever it happens to be, like letting your hips fold back in space, loading your quads, like maintaining internal and external rotation balance of your hips, all of those things that contribute to a really masterful squat. Most people don't learn that or develop all those skills perfectly by just squatting. And I think there's a bit of value in doing things that stress parts of that system without stressing the whole system um, separately. And so even things that don't appear directly transferable like whatever it happens to be, doing some rotational ab work, doing single-legged work where you're forcing forcing yourself to actually maintain balance across your foot and hip position. All of that stuff, I think, has some value. It's not the thing that's going to immediately make you squat more, but developing those skills, I think, sort of builds the, like, I don't know, builds the foundation of a good squatter. And then on top of that, you do all your squatting work and try and sort of get some technical mastery in that. What do you think of that, just as a thought, Alex? Yeah, those are just the little things that add up to a good squat in the end so if you're just coming in and doing squats and not teaching those skills you're going to limit your ceiling essentially yeah and point 1b is that and again this is this two or 1b 1b um 1b relating to that a bit like what jp and i spoke about with the bulgarian split squat thing is you can get pretty good at squatting by just squatting but sometimes the elements of the system that are maybe under addressed or are lagging and that can also get pushed close to breaking point and so if you don't address those address those maybe slightly weaker points outside the context of of the main lift they stay underdeveloped and they end up being the things that cap you so that's i mean it's the same as point one a just made in reverse yeah okay point two i did remember it uh, but alex also gave me the look thanks alex um point two somebody said the other day um and i thought it was really interesting um they said that the people like people who can get really good at a lift by only ever doing that lift tend to be the people who are built really, really well for that lift. And the less well-built you are for a given lift, the more you need sort of secondary work and accessory work to target things and bring it up. What do you think of that as a concept? 100% agree. Yeah, I had never thought of it like that, but I pretty much 100% agreed the second they said it. Like, Let's look at Chad Odzi, for instance. Yeah. Built to bench press, can bench press, does pretty much nothing except bench press. Chad Odzi, by the way, is... Australian 77 kilo lifter owner of the Australian bench record and yeah and world world, world powerlifting world, world record um, what did he bench in training the other day 190 or something 195 yeah 195 at, 80, at 81 or something 80, 81 so like very impressive bench presser and when you see him walk into a room he's like giant chest small like as in T-Rexy arms like just big rib cage you know just looks like somebody who if you put him down on a bench as a toddler he'd have benched like he just yeah you know he just gets it yeah um and the same thing is true for a lot of deadlifters that you see. Like, they're just sick at deadlifting. They're built really well to deadlift. You put them in front of a bar and say, pick it up, and they just do a deadlift. And well, so, yeah, that was like JP talking about how he, when he switched to sumo, right? Yeah, just immediately. Just like good. he did conventional for, what was it, a year, and then he switched to sumo, and it was... Four years of conventional. He did it for ages. He did his first four meets did conventional, four, and he only four comps. conventional. Four comps. Yeah. yeah like, so, like, his whole lifting history. Anyway. So he'd been doing only conventional and he just switched to sumo and was like immediately repping one reps. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's some truth to that as well is particularly like although your first thought if you're shit at a lift has to be like I better practice this lift until I'm technically good at it. You should also probably say well hey you know I'm probably lacking in a few components here I better build up build up some strength in them too by doing other things. And if I, I can if I can bring this full circle back to why this was sort of a bugbear um as alex initially put 
the idea for this episode. Um, why this was a bugbear to me is just like I think a few people take up powerlifting as sort of like a reactionary, anti-aesthetic gym hobby. I think a lot of people also take up powerlifting as sort of like a reactionary, anti... Not non-functional, but like sort of anti-BS pump and tone type of training thing where they think like... Anti-movement almost. Yeah, it's like... like restricting your... Limiting your movement, like yeah, deliberately. Yeah, like I'm a purist. All I do is use a barbell, yeah. you know, I'm in here to like be real and stuff and like, I don't know. I can sound like a dickhead saying it. Um, but that's that's legit how people some... Oh, I should say how some people seem to think about powerlifting. And again, I understand where they're coming from because if you're attracted to powerlifting, you want to lift heavy weights on a barbell, like sick. But... I think on top of that, you've got to acknowledge that the way you get good at lifting heavy weights on a barbell is lifting heavy weights on a barbell and also plugging up your weak points and being completely opposed to investing your time in other forms of training that complement that is probably not the best use of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, the very the little side point that I had um, that I had for this was specialising in powerlifting much too early and. Again, this is something we've spoken about in the long-term development podcast, but it pretty much comes from the same place that I said before, is you've got you've to build a degree of resilience moving in lots of planes, in lots of muscles, develop some movement skills in lots of, like, lots of different movements as you start to develop your powerlifting skills, and I think you'll be a much better lifter in the long term for it. And there's lots of people who, again, probably jump into powerlifting because they say, hey, I really don't identify with this idea of being a bodybuilder or a figure person i just want to go in and focus on a few simple skills i think that's an awesome attitude almost all the time but you've got to couple it with a willingness to just do a lot of general work get broadly stronger get good at lifting get good at moving feel your body out be balanced and then try and push your body build oh sorry your powerlifting i should say hard alex great anything to add nope do you want to introduce point four yes so point four Jumping from coach to coach in search of a magic program. So why would this be? Why would this be a problem, Will? Can I give a counterpoint as to why I think it's a good idea? Because I, you can tell the reasons it's a problem. I think change is as good as a holiday, and I think in 2019, if you're looking for a new coach to take you to great heights, then you can send your inquiries to willatwillberkman.com. That's it. I'm done. No, I okay. The, the the actual serious point, um, the actual serious point for why change is good, or it's not that change is good per se. Lots of people get a short term sugar hit from changing coaches. It's a bit like a lot of sporting teams get a short term sugar hit from changing coaches. And I hope a wallaby is listening to this. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people get a short term sugar hit from changing coaches because almost invariably that entails imposing some variety on their training. And if you've just gotten a little bit used to a new, like a little bit used to a certain style of training or a certain regime, then that, that imposition of variety can help. And likewise, having a fresh set of eyes look at you can often find some technical deficiencies that maybe weren't there. I think coaches that spend a long time with athletes can sometimes get not like complacent, but develop enough familiarity with them that they stop to notice very small details so i can actually see why a lot of people get improvements from changing coaches but i also don't think that that's something that should be done willy-nilly i think you should invest as much time and get as much out of each coach that you do work with as you possibly can and where you can continue to gain long term with a coach there's huge benefits to it which we've spoken about before now why i think changing coaches is bad um is almost every coach or here's a couple of reasons 
almost every good coach that you work with will have a relatively long-term developmental plan for you. Um, and so I think jumping ship mid, mid-plan sacrifices your ability to realize the benefits of that plan. And if somebody's working towards something in six months and you're sort of ticking along at the two or three month mark and then you jump ship, then the next person is probably going to have to start you at square one. That's number one. Number two, the longer that you spend with a coach, the more they can sort of start to identify the characteristics about you as a lifter, how you recover from things, what you respond to, what your strengths and weaknesses are and stuff that actually helps them individualize programming. So again, you sacrifice that sort of that, yeah, that individualization aspect that makes their coaching more valuable. And number three, oh, and number three is just the fact that the attitude is kind of misplaced if you think that it's the coaching and the programming necessarily. Sometimes it is. But if you think it's the coaching and the programming necessarily that is holding you back from making stratospheric gains, because very often the people who are inclined to sort of jump ship at the first stall, the first sort of point of hardship, actually just have an attitude and application problem and very often it's improving the quality of your work in conjunction with the coach that you're with that will yield you more results um yeah alex yeah i think the most important part about staying with a coach long term is that they understand you as a lifter better than anyone else does and they're able to adjust the program over the years to cater to you specifically and that's the that's the biggest thing with working with someone for a long time is you understand like you know you may have done 15 competition preps with someone over three and a half four years or whatever the case is you know you know by that time what they respond to what they need what they what their weaknesses are you know maybe that they need certain exercise to whatever you know that as the coach and if you're running away from your coach after three months and then jumping to a new coach they don't have the opportunity to learn about you and they're actually not going to be able to provide you with the service that they could if you were to give them the time. Yeah, and here's like a really good case study for this would be Chrissy, who, so Alex's girlfriend, Chrissy, who he used to train. Um, how long did you train her for? 18 months, two years? Close to two years, yeah. Yeah, close to two years. So Alex was coaching her after they started dating. She started, or a long time after they started dating, she started coaching with me because it was just getting a little bit too much sort of having boyfriend and coach um in the same room all the time and housemate and housemate yeah so you know that's just a little bit of extra stress so she um she swapped over to me and alex was able to tell me after those two years that you know chrissy struggles to bench she needs to bench quite a lot but she struggles to bench two days in a row because her shoulders get beaten up you know she should probably squat three times a week like x y and z you know, needs a longer taper than you would expect of a lightweight girl. All this information about her that I probably wouldn't have known without having trained her for, you know, six months or a year or 18 months like he had and making those observations for myself. So I got I got handed over basically a massive head start on her training that I otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and as a result, she did quite well in her first 14 weeks with me because I was able to basically continue the work that Alex had been doing. But had I gotten her fresh... I would have done a whole lot of things very differently that probably wouldn't have worked out quite as well and we would have had many more false starts, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Because, um, I, yeah, I already made them, uh, those mistakes. Yeah, basically. So, that you know, that was a benefit that I had that most people don't have um, when you swap coaches. I've had other clients come to me from other coaches and it's not common for a coach to email you and say, oh, you know, hey, you're starting with Jeff and you know here's a few things i've observed my name is jeff (laughs) my name is jeff Um, because we're too busy we're too busy working with the clients that we still have 
So, um, yeah, I think stick with your coach, be open in communicating with them. And if you, if you both basically engage frequently and openly about your training and, you know, communicate what your goals are, what your expectations are and what you want to see from each other, then you can have a very, very productive relationship for quite a long time. And the benefits that I said to novelty and having a fresh eye on you and stuff, you can still get while maintaining a relationship with a, with a certain coach by saying, hey, you know, maybe we can change tack and having an open discussion around that or, have, you know, having fresh training partners, training in a new gym, things like that too. Because good coaches do work collaboratively, you know, with the people around you um, too. That's what I think. And another point on that is um, with variety and flavor, to a program the your coach who has a long-term view in mind will have that inbuilt anyway mm. so you don't have to change coaches to get you know a new set of exercises or a new rep scheme or whatever yeah that should already be inbuilt in the yearly plan yeah and on top of that oftentimes the the changes that my clients really want to make aren't in their best interests and so when they to their credit say hey why don't we try whatever it is like Banded, reverse banded squats to a high box. You say, fuck no. <laughs> I don't say fuck no. I say, <laughs> I say, look, I'll give that some consideration and then immediately reject it because it's stupid. And then laugh and <laughs> text me about it. And laugh. <laughs> um, but no, actually, like, you know, your coach can tell you exactly why you're not doing those things normally. Or they can say, you know what, that might be an idea. I'll humor you and we'll try it. Um, and there have been times when my clients have said, look, this is this is why I want to do X, Y, and Z, which runs counter to my immediate intuition. And I've said, okay, well, you know, that might work. I'll humor you. Let's see what happens and do it in an intelligent way. And the other the other thing, well, the final point on this is the way that I worded this point mm-hmm. is in search of a magic program. There is no magic program. Programming is just a bunch of training variables that are manipulated based on the person. And if you really want the best program, you need those variables manipulated for you. And if you have a coach for a long period of time, they will be able to do that for you. Let's, that was the final point. Let's do an anecdote to supplement your final point. <laughs> um, but you can still do the summary because I know you wanted to cap that one off. No, I'm, I'm done with that. Okay. So you can look, finish it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, like Alex said, there are no magic programs, but very frequently I have people who I will send programs. And in fact, I had one I was just telling Alex about off air. Well, I'll send programs where they'll look at the piece of paper and go, that's not that much heavy work or like, oh, you know, I could do way more sets and like I've done more sets in the past. But the quality of the work that you do is so much more important for your gains than the volume, or not the volume, I should say, but like then then the amount you do or then it's structure necessarily. Like the amount of work you do and the structure of work that you do should should basically be imposed so that it maximizes the quality and return on the work that you're doing. And so, so often the most magical program isn't actually one that's got anything particularly different about it to the ones that you've previously done. It's just the one that actually allows you to get in there and do quality work, learn to lift better, try really hard and actually, yeah, actually invest maximum effort in something that's yeah not that exciting on paper. Yep. Okay. Well, now that you've said, yep, you can wrap that up. Do you want to take number five as well? Uh, I reckon we should have a break because we're halfway. Sick. All right. Get having a music, break. Get some music, Will. Nah, music coming right up. Weekly Weights. Welcome back to episode 41 of Weekly Weights. We're here giving you eight ways to improve your training nutrition. So up to number five. Can I just interrupt? Yes. It was like you were putting on a voice. 
That was not Alex Hayes talking. He's like, what's up, everyone? It's I Weekly I literally Weights. didn't say what's up, everyone, or it's Weekly Weights. I said, welcome back to Weekly welcome Weights. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. It's episode 41. You know, it was just, I don't know. It was like, it was 90% you and then just 10% like taking the piss. And this is a serious podcast. It's my radio voice, Bill. Okay. Well, yeah. And your radio face. I'm saying. Do you miss this? I think this might be the last episode of the podcast ever. <laughs> Imagine that. Weekly Weights doesn't even make it to a year. <laughs> Actually, I reckon there were probably people taking bets on us lasting like a month. We're well, still here. fuck is all. Fuck the haters, fuck the haters, fuck the haters, fuck them good. Fuck the haters, fuck the haters, fuck the haters, and fuck them real good. Weekly Weights. Suck it, haters. <laughs> all right, what was, what was point number five? So number five was... Copying the technique or programming of the elite. This was a good bugbear because it's definitely one that I have and it ties in a little bit with the whole magic program thing. Um, so a couple of things to consider. Um, just like when we were talking about long-term coaching, people who have gotten to a really elite level tend to have been training for a pretty long time um, or they happen to be extremely talented, which also in some ways invalidates their training programming uh, or tra- I should say training practices as apply to most people often. But yeah, they tend to have been training for a very long time and developed a very individualized approach that may not apply particularly well for you. That's number one. Number two, often the training practices of people who are really, really good are almost dictated to them by the requirements of being really, really good because it's just a very different thing. If you're Ray Williams squatting like 450, 470 kilos, that imposes so much more... 485. Hmm? 485. Do you squat 485? Yeah, that's his best squat. Hectic. Um... But like, say you squatted 485, uh, which is crazy, you know, that amount in kilograms imposes so much more stress on your body than 485 pounds, or even, you know, as many people who start powerlifting squat like 140 kilos, that the programming that you do then is almost completely irrelevant to the developmental needs of somebody who's a beginner. So if you're sort of looking around for a program to do, and the first person you go to look for is what is the person who is the absolute best in the world doing right now, you're actually missing the point because what you really want to do is think, well, what's the person who is the very best in the world doing when they were you know, just starting out? And then to go right back to what I was saying about people who haven't been training long and are extremely good, if you haven't been lifting weights for like a pretty long time and you're genuinely like world-class, like in the discussion for the best in the world in your weight class, then you're also by definition so outrageously talented that probably whatever training you did was going to make you really, really good, irrespective of whether it was good or better for other people. So it's still kind of a crapshoot to apply it because it might be amazingly structured training or it might just be complete shit, but you happen to be just so fantastically gifted that you were going to be good no matter what, you know? Yeah, and and even even further to the point, if even if you are someone who's been training for a long time, as you are looking at, you know, some looking up to someone else who's been training for a long time, just because it worked for them does not necessarily mean it will work for you. Like, mm. we can break things down as far as, like, you know, are you in the same weight class? Do you have the same limb lengths? Do you have the same job? Do you have... Are you the same age? Do you have children and they don't have children? Do et cetera, et cetera. Weaknesses, technical yeah, weaknesses. Yeah, exactly right. You know. Are you on steroids? Because they probably are. Or they might be. They might be. Um you know, steroids. do you <laughs> steroids? Robert Wilkes, the ghost of Robert Wilkes, is I can actually hear his voice in the wind yeah, outside. No, drugs are bad. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, 
But, you know, all of that stuff can be true. And, you know, even just your ability to recover and adapt from work might be different. Um, and a bit like what I was saying about the amount of stress imposed by the loads that people who are extremely good handle. Another thing is just the rate of adaptation. Um, oftentimes people who are, you know, say you're, I don't know, Chad Wesley, Chad Wesley Smith, really good example, um, because he makes a lot of his training relatively public. You know, the training that it would take to take him from like a 950-ish pound squat to like a 1,000 pound squat, you know, that's that would take an inordinately long time and be heaps and heaps of work. But you might see a far greater relative magnitude, so like in percentage in percentage terms, or a similar or greater like absolute magnitude of improvement in somebody who's far less qualified for powerlifting than him in a much shorter time period. And training structures that are designed over, you know, 26 or 30 weeks or a year to only eke out, you know, 5 or 10 kilos more on a lift are probably not the best return on your time if you could legitimately get 15 or 20 kilos better at training just by doing something simpler, mm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's just a few reasons. There's one more point as well. Um, Go. The, the elite are generally, they generally have the best work capacity as well. So if they were doing five fives at 85%, right? Mm-hmm. That would kill most people. Well, it would kill me. Yeah. Um, you might see them do five fives at 85% and then you try and do five fives at 85% and you like you need a 20 minute break after the third set. It's not really relatable, is it? Like if they're able to get to such a level, they've done all the, the amount of work to get there and they've able to build their work capacity to be able to do the amount of work to get where they are essentially. Yeah, or from the other from the other side, like from the other perspective, sometimes they're just such a finely tuned machine that, you know, you can't yeah, you can't quite push them as hard. So they may be able to do five fives at eighty five percent. There are there are also some people who are super elite. Like Sam Bird's a good example. Do you remember, do you know anything about him? You remember him? He was a really good squatter. Um, apparently he used to have to warm up for like an hour to get himself under the bar to squat because his shoulders were so messed up. But I remember seeing a snippet of his programming where he was only really doing fives in like the 60 to 70% range. Really strong guy though. Um, But, you know, that was just the amount of stimulus that he could hack and get better. And again, if you're like, he was like, I'm going to make up a number. He was like 800, 900 pound squatter. Um, Might still be lifting, I don't even know. But I remember seeing some stuff like that. And then I was thinking, you know, fives at 60 to 70% probably aren't going to get somebody whose max squat is 140 kilos that much better. That like it might if it just gets them better at squatting because they don't know what they're doing. But it's not really much stimulus, you know. And so again, just the the way in which the stimulus ties to your needs is not the same when you're that good and when you're not good. I had one more point and I'm, I think I've forgotten it. Give me a minute. Elevator music? No. No, that'll make it's it worse. Been, <laughs> that'll make it worse. Now, it's been months since you and I have just done some little... You know what I was thinking, actually? While you're thinking. I'm sure this won't distract you. Did you go to Tulum? Yeah. You did? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought that... I don't know whether it's said Tulum or Tulum. But Tulum. You, Tulum? You can't say it without it sounding like you're about to do a scat cover of the Pink Panther theme. Tulum. 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 <laughs> you know? I was just thinking that. It was, it's a very rhythmic name. You know? Tulum. Tulum, tulum, tulum. You haven't thought of your point, have you? I haven't. All right, well, let's abandon that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, fuck. <laughs> I have nothing to say. And also thinking about the Pink Panther. Um, what was the name of the guy who played the recent Pink Panther? Um, the funny dude. Rowan Atkinson. 
No, um, that's like Blackadder. No, Steve. What's his name? Um, he definitely Steve. His name is Steve Martin. Played Pink Panther. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, he played. Um, no, he didn't play the Pink Panther. Sorry, he played Inspector Clouseau. Um, in the Pink Panther, the recent. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Anyway, next. Um, Rowan Atkinson. Though there's a new Johnny English movie coming out. I think. You remember Johnny English? Mm-hmm. What do you think? <laughs> Average. <laughs> it wasn't that good. I do like Rowan Atkinson, though. He's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> Mr. Bean's all time. Yeah, Mr. Bean is all time. All right. Um, number six. Always being on during training and meets. Thoughts? Yeah, so we see we see this mostly in males. Um, sort of like, you know, blasting music in the headphones. Two monsters and eight notos every session um they won't talk to anyone like they're firing up for warm-up sets all that kind of stuff um the biggest drawback for that is just extra expansion of expansion expenditure of energy yeah there's expansion which is what your waist has done when you were overseas you fatty (laughs) (laughs) and there's expenditure which is what you weren't doing enough of with your energy you fatty (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting roasted welcome back alex Um, yeah, the extra expenditure <laughs> the of extra energy. extra expenditure of energy, just like mental energy, it just burns you out. So, like, I think it's just completely unnecessary to be on all the time, obviously, and you have to pick your times for when you need to switch on. It might be in the last few weeks of your prep, and even then, like, maybe just your heavy, squ- heavy squat, heavy bench, heavy deadlift sessions. That's, like, an hour each um, versus, like, all 10 hours of training. So, I'm just thinking, in the age of AirPods... It's really not quite the same. Like, you know, when people are wearing like fat cans on their head and they're walking around like sort of head bobbing in the corner and looking really cheesy. Yeah, or you see them and I like that we see them. But when somebody's wearing AirPods and just like full rocking out, it just doesn't quite look the same, you know? It's a little bit sad. Yeah. Um, Rich cunts. Yes, actually though. Um, Yeah, look, again with this one, I tend to think it's, it's not the best practice. Because I don't think you should have to be super duper G'd up for all the training that you do. Um, and if you if you if you do need to be super G'd up for training all the time, your training's probably too hard. Yeah, probably. And I could imagine that would burn you out. But there are also some people who are just sort of wired to be like that. And you know, like like is Scream Emanuel is a good example mm. of a guy who just loves to be super mm. super G'd. But yeah, but it, like it's okay to be G'd in a meet or like when you're on the platform, right? Mm. But if you're if you're screaming squatting 60 kilos and you squat 320 like he does, yeah, it's like it's probably not the best use of your energy, right? And he used to go through like this and used to use him as an example. He used to get like really depressed after meets. Really? Yeah. Well, oh. he suffered with depression, but like he used to go through. Man, imagine if he had like your or my meat results. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he used to go through periods where like he wouldn't train. Really? And then he'd get himself up and then he'd just be cooked and he wouldn't train again. So I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Um, I'm not saying that that was like why, but... Yeah, I mean, be- what the point I was trying to make more was that I think some people are probably like a little bit dispositionally wired to being a bit more just fired up and like like that. And, you know, it was a bit like when I was playing footy, like at training, I was very much like a plot along, practice my skills. And like when we did contested stuff, like try hard, but it was still just training because I'm just, I'm relaxed like that. But there were some people who just the thing that they're there for is that feeling of competition and stoke. And, you know, there, so there are some people who just love to be intense under the bar, but, and like, I'm fine with that, but I do, like you were saying, I do think it's good to just be able to switch off a little bit 
know when it's time to really push and fire up and know when it's time to conserve yourself because yeah you're gonna have to do a lot of training and spending all that time wired would i don't know to me be much too much yeah i'm i can use you and i as an example i remember one of the i think it was the second comp i did Mm. i got i used to get really really like jittery and like very amped like before i would get on the platform and i would kind of wouldn't be able to control it so will like stole my music from me for like five minutes at a time and then he would give it to me back when there was like three minutes before i would lift so like he would kind of make me switch on and off like Is that the one where i put you in the naughty corner yeah. as well <laughs> yeah i faced a chair into a corner and made him sit in it so he'd have less stimulus yeah so um, like you know, I needed to know when to switch on and when to switch off. And it's good. It's a good idea to, if you have lifters who are like this, tell them like what music to listen to and then tell them when to maybe listen to something, you know, more ampy or to give them a three minute heads up or a five minute heads up or two minute heads up or whatever the case is. Yeah. And I mean, on a similar note at the Strength Fortress, um, how many weeks ago, like eight or 10 weeks ago when we were there, I didn't listen to music for the whole time. Um, you know, I was still like, I was still pretty wired and excited, but you know, I was watching JP do his lifts while I was doing my warm ups and sort of just walking around and having a chat here and there. Um, you know, and I was very focused when it was time to do things, but for me, I actually found that one of my most relaxing meet experiences. And when I get out on the platform, I'm still more than able to just get ready because that's just who I am. But I don't think shoehorning yourself into being aggro all the time is for the best. Yeah. But I think, yeah, again, that's, that's you because you've done this many competitions and you know how you react to certain stimulus and that was like you finding the right balance. Yeah. So I guess if we're giving a tip to everyone out there, find the right balance. Yeah, I think finding balance is better than being like chill out, man. Because yep. there are some people, like if you just perform better, this is like, we, I think we spoke to Liz about this. Um, we've definitely spoken about the arousal curve thing. Oh, we spoke about this with Shero. Was it Shero yeah. as well? Yeah. Um, you know, there is definitely going to be a sweet spot of how G'd up you have to be for a given set and when you're competing and stuff like that but you do also want to be able to turn that off in between sets and yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's to the best to just be yeah going crazy all the time a really good example of someone who does this really really well is Alvin Lim yeah he's, he's like most relaxed he's so guy. chill out the back and then one minute before like an attempt gets a smack on the head and he's screaming as he runs on the platform it's yeah. a classic Alvin's great and another good story I heard I, I've told this on the podcast before as well. It's Benedict Magnuson. Yeah. Who... Sleeping. Oh, man. If you w- look up some Benny Magnuson deadlifting videos, honestly, one of my favorite things to watch. Like, guy gets so G'd up, but in between attempts, he is basically asleep or actually asleep, according to Amir, um, our podcast guest from episode th- two. 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 Um, yeah, so Benny's basically asleep. His coach will wake up and go, yeah, Benny, you're up next. And he'll wake up and go, and go running around and like knock over the chalk bowl and things. And then when he's done, he's right back into his chair and just nodding off. That'd be a terrifying sight, that large man. He's so... Pushing objects around. Uh, And he's so funny as well. Um, Follow his Instagram. Um, Oh, he's nice. He's he's funny because when you talk to him initially, you think, is this guy all there? And And then he actually starts talking like properly. Like I've seen him present about the deadlift. Incredibly intelligent, very well expressed. He just... He really does like in life zone out when it's when it's sort of not on, um, but his Instagram cracks me up because his captions are his captions are very often like subtle jokes, um, and you know he like he talks like he jokes about his dog and he calls himself Big B and he just 
there's just lots of little jokes in the things he does. I think he's classic. I love Benny. Um, you have anything else to say about number six? Nope. Okay, we already spoke about seven with three. Oh, here was another one of my ones that I don't like. This isn't really a change in training. It's a change in attitude. But it's rival fed bashing and general elitism. I don't think is good. And I think not recognizing the achievements or lessons from other iron sports is also not good. So I'll start. Actually, I'll start at the back and then we'll go back to why rival fed bashing is silly. But why not recognizing the achievements or lessons in other iron sports is silly goes back a little bit to what I was saying about the value in just doing some stuff that's not just the powerlifts. Um, I think powerlifters can learn heaps about how to get jacked and how to eat well and stuff from bodybuilders. I think we can learn heaps about, you know, work ethic and certain exercises and recovery and stuff like that from other sports. I think we can learn lots about technique from strongmen. I think there's lots of value that you can get in being a keen observer of the other iron sports. And God forbid, you could probably learn a bit from CrossFitters as well. And I think it's really important to sort of be open. <laughs> Alex is cr- like dying to say something. I just think it's really, it's really important to be open to learning things from them. And then another like obvious example is weightlifting. And there are plenty of powerlifters who try and appropriate weightlifting practices for better or for worse. Examples being using Prilipin's chart for load selection. Probably not the best idea, but okay. Um, or, you know, Bulgarian methods of programming. Also probably not the best idea, but okay. Um, but there, there are lessons that you can take from all the other iron sports that will make your powerlifting training better because whether you like it or not, powerlifting is probably the simplest in terms of demands iron sport there is. So I think that's really important. And I think it's also just nice to contextualize how incredible the achievements of other people are because, again, using weightlifting as an example, I have a running joke with the weightlifting coach at Lyft, um, Andrew Pineda, that weightlifters are all weak and, and shit at lifting. But some of the most impressive squats, probably most of the most impressive squats ever in history have been done by weightlifters. You know, there are Chinese kids who are like 16 and weigh 70 kilos who are squatting like 300 beltless high bar walked out forwards from a rack. You know, like... That's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's, yeah. That's not an exaggeration, man. They really are like... 70 kilo squatting 300. I'm going to pull one up after this. 17 years old. Guys, next week on Weekly Weights, listen in for the apology from one of Alex or I. I'll pull some of these up. I call it quitspiration. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are there are but people... ten dollars live on air. Yeah, fuck it, ten dollars. So they've got to be about seventy kilos. Like, give me wiggle room to up to seventy three. Okay, up to seventy three. And you said seventeen years old. Hmm? You said seventeen years old. Okay, give me wiggle room between <laughs> up to nineteen. Seventeen to nineteen. Okay, up to seventy three kilos. Okay. and. 290 to 310. 290 to 3... Well, 300 is the cap. Say 290 to 300. 290 plus. Okay. $10? Done. $10. Guys, I'll be back next week if I can afford it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But yeah, I think it's just important to recognize the recognize both the abilities and the lessons from other iron sports. What do you think about that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like, And it, it goes even further than that with recognizing accomplishments, right? Yeah. So, like, let's look at Eddie Hall's 500 kilo deadlift, for instance. Yeah. A lot of powerlifters look at that and go, oh, he hitched it and he used straps. Well, like, yeah, because he's competing in strongman and those are the rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a strongman could look at powerlifting and see someone pull sumo and you're not allowed to pull sumo in strongman. So, they would consider that not impressive. So, it goes back the other way as well. But, you know, again, thinking of... Thinking of 
those lessons. Like there are there are people who have used programming for powerlifting that was written for other iron sports. And again, I like I cited Bulgarian training and Prilipin's chart is not good, um, not good examples. But there's a um, there's like a Travis Ortmeier deadlifting program that floats around that a number of people have run and gotten really good results with. And Travis Ortmeier was a strongman, for instance. Um, you know, and like I've said, you know, if you want to learn about how to get jacked, like you can learn some things from bodybuilders. Like bodybuilders are the masters at making body composition changes. I think it's just really myopic to sort of say the only things I can learn about lifting are from people who do our sport when powerlifting is just like the confluence of a bunch of really general adaptations. Yeah, like if you see Eddie Hall's deadlift at 500 kilos and you say, oh, he cheated to use straps, doesn't count, <laughs> then you literally can't learn from the strongest person who's ever deadlifted. Yeah, like, like you're you're just throwing away all this potential information that could make you a better lifter by ignoring it because he used straps. Yeah, and he didn't, you know, didn't uh, agree to the set of rules that are in your particular federation, which is another point. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to get to no? I wanted to no. I wanted to talk about Thor first. Yeah, Thor. So Thor just did um, his, I think, like fifth or sixth powerlifting comp, but he hasn't done one in multiple years. And he totaled 1,100 kilos with only five out of nine made lifts. Um, he missed a squat on depth. He actually missed his depth. first squat and his last squat on depth. Yeah. Um, he missed his last deadlift on grip. Yeah. So he needed those straps because he's a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, um, yeah. But yeah, like, okay. So let's say he makes eight or nine lifts. He is a legitimate chance at the being the greatest powerlifter ever on total because the... Um, all-time world record is 11.40, which is Milanchev. Yeah. So he's literally only 40 kilos away from the all-time world record total. And he did like a, what, 12-week prep or 16-week prep or 20-week prep or something? Yeah. Like, from from all Yeah, from all this strongman work. So, like, if you're, if you're always sitting in your powerlifting bubble and just, like, refusing to believe that strongmen are strong at powerlifting because they don't express it all the time, you're, you're wrong because Thor is, like, as strong as one yeah. of the top five people who've ever done powerlifting. Like, with this mirrors the discussion we had about how Eddie Hall would just be an outrageous powerlifter. 100%. So he looked up his rep numbers and they were stupid. He like, would be so much better than anyone if he if he cared, but he doesn't. Um, because strongman, you can make more money. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think that's important for one. So it makes you humble and it keeps you open to learning. And another good example, sorry, um, crossfitters. There are heaps of crossfitters who get, like, outrageously strong. Maybe not at the bench press because they don't really do bench much in crossfit. But, like, they get good at deadlifting, um, good at squatting and stuff like that, doing actually less general strength work because they're too busy like running a marathon and doing 100 kipping pull-ups in between their max squats, right? Um, but it all that can teach you lessons as well because periodically you'll, in your programming, have to chop things away. And if you look at them, you can say, well, how much work might be a sustainable or not a sustainable workload because their workload's crazy, but like how much strength work is actually necessary to make people better? And these people are really good case studies of it because they have to balance demands with other things. Um, so and yeah. and if, if you also look at CrossFitters as well, like you mentioned it, they have such a great capacity to do work, which is that helps powerlifters. So if we can learn how they achieve that <coughs> work capacity. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. All right. Um, um, Robert Wilkes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, if we can you know, use something that they have used to improve our work capacity, we can then become better at powerlifting. Yeah. So like it, yeah. We can't disregard these sports. Yeah. And then, but if you want to be the best at powerlifting, do powerlifting. Don't do strongman. Don't do bodybuilding. Don't do CrossFit. But we can take elements from them, but also to make us better. 
One more thing. Also really good evidence for what I was saying before about like you don't have to specialise in powerlifting early to get good at it. Because look at these people. They've literally specialised in something else. And it just so happens that like powerlifting is basically just about being strong and having good technique. Because powerlifting is the easiest of all of these sports. Yeah, by a long By way. a mile. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, be open to lessons from other things. Be open to trying new stuff here and there, you know. Um, like you signed up for powerlifting, so do powerlifting sweep. But mm. be open to that. I think it'll be helpful. Um, rival fed, fed bashing. bashing and general elitism. So if you're a powerlifting elitist and you think everything non-powerlifting is dumb, we've already said why. That's probably not good. Why is fed bashing silly? Um, from my perspective, the main reason is it's all just lifting weights. And again, like half the people we've cited in this in this podcast so far as being really impressive lifters have been, in fact, more than half, have been from federations that we don't compete in and probably never will. Way more than half. 90%. We mentioned Mary Williams. We're not in the IPF anymore. Yeah, well, true. <laughs> but, okay, so we've spoken about JP and Chad. They're from... And Alvin. They're from PA. Every single other person is not from World Powerlifting, most not from the IPF. Um, that doesn't... Just because somebody doesn't compete under the exact same set of rules as you doesn't invalidate their achievements... You know, just it's like narrowing the thing we were saying with Eddie Hall's 500 kilo deadlift. You know, people might wear a different brand of knee sleeves to you or be allowed knee wraps and stuff. And so that provides a bit of context that tells you why their achievements are different. Certainly doesn't make them invalid. I think spending all the time that you can denigrating the achievements of other people just makes you a little bit of a bitter person. And it kind of sucks because generally as a community powerlifters all care about the same shit which is being strong and then they just make decisions about where to compete based on what's available to them and what sort of suits their interests best and who their friends are yeah yeah and who their friends are so i think bashing other feds sucks agreed um and the other thing with that is like if you are in a different fed and you see someone who's squatting in knee wraps and squats more than you you can't then say like oh he's did it because of knee wraps when he's competing against people who are also wearing knee wraps so he is in his own competition he or her are in their own competition competing against people with the same set of rules it doesn't negate what they do it doesn't negate what you do it doesn't invalidate what you do or invalidate what they do it's just different but at the end of the day it's really fucking similar because it's a squat yeah and you might be able to learn something from them yeah so I mean like here and there on the podcast we've made jokes about like west side and backyard meets and like spf judging which is often really lax and shit yeah but that's different <laughs> yeah it's different but also like that's about as far as it goes because we can still look at those people and say but there's like they're really crazy strong and there's lots we can learn from them and things like that like you know you're providing context but you shouldn't take that as being that their achievements aren't worthy of anything because this whole the whole thread of this point to me was just like if you narrow the pool of people that you consider worthy of learning from too much, then you cut off so many potential avenues for knowledge to get you better and just are oh, negative. That yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. But on, on that note with complaining about like backyard meets and bad refing or whatever, yeah. calling out bad refing doesn't, isn't calling out the federation. Like there's a lot of bad refing in world powerlifting. There's a lot of bad refing in the IPF. There's a lot of bad refing in everywhere, right? Yeah. That's not, that's not necessarily calling out <coughs> the federation or bashing the federation. That's just, I also the referee in particular I also think yeah that is the referee in particular I also think that you want to be very careful about um, about bashing referees and this again probably comes from like my my background in rugby where actually lots of people do this in rugby too but but you know in the clubs and the schools that I played for when I was growing up it was frowned upon to bash on the referee because you have a game by virtue of having a ref they're there giving you your time 
and most of the time, even if they're shit, they're equally shit, you know, between both teams, right? And they're not going out there to ruin your day. Likewise, there are plenty of powerlifting refs who maybe don't do the greatest job or don't referee to the rules, and it's one thing to appeal to them on the day and try and get, try and sort of get a better set of circumstances, but then to spend all your time externalizing your poorer than you hoped for performance by bashing a referee is a really bad look. And considering these people have volunteered their time to better the sport, I think it's yeah, it's not something that I think people should do. I think you should always thank the referees, even if they did a shit job, and then move on from there. Yeah, it's playing the victim mentality. Yeah, and, and most and most of the time, the people who criticize referees have never refereed. Yeah, like, can you imagine how hot? Well, I mean, you can. I do. Done it. Yeah, I'm a national ref now. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah congratulations. Thank Good you. for you. I haven't refereed. Um, but I can't imagine sitting there for three to six hours at a time watching really, really intently and trying to make often very narrow subjective calls and doing so making zero errors. It's just, it's not easy. Yeah, it's impossible to make no mistakes. Like, with my own clients training here and there, I'm watching every every rep pretty hard and sometimes they'll be right on the borderline with their swats. So I'll say, oh, you're right on the borderline. They say, were any reps high? And I have to watch back the footage in slow-mo to actually be sure because I'll just say they were definitely outside of my comfort range you know what I mean yeah and the other thing is the refs don't get the benefit of slow-mo they yeah. get one nanosecond of a view and oftentimes that's obstructed by the spotters or whatever it's, it's really hard yeah so basically don't be a dickhead to the refs and don't be a dickhead to people who choose to compete under different circumstances to you yeah just lift weights and be happy and get stronger yeah that all said um we did do a pretty good episode on the IPF World Powerlifting drama, and we have spoken to people about that. I think all that powerlifting politics is both worthy and important. Um, and if you want to listen to them, then you can listen to Robert Wilkes. Episode 7. Episode 7. And Brett Gibbs also gave us some pretty good thoughts about it on episode... 20-something. And Thomas Lilly shed some light on it on episode... 15-ish, roughly. And is that about it? I, I think know. that's about it. I don't know. Um, anyway, point we is... We spoke about Fed bashing with Shero as well. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Shadow was recent, like 35 or something. I'm, I'm checking. Yeah. Um. Anyway, point is, those discussions, again, of like a, a more... Shadow 36? 36. Um, those discussions on a more like global political level... Gibbs 26? Um, about the way in which the federations are structured and things, again, shouldn't be used as a reason to denigrate people who have chosen to lift in a certain fed. Thomas Lilly, 18. 18, thank you. Um. Yeah. Those are... Yeah, those are decisions like the athletes who are competing under federations that you may not necessarily like the structure of are still just blokes like you or girls like you who like to lift weights. So yep. remember that. Yep. Final point. This, Alex. This was your one. What did um, I say? Oh, complaining. was complaining about a hobby. Oh, yeah. This is... I've had this rant so many times. People love to complain about lifting weights. Um, and <laughs> I get it. Because, again, it's hard, and the people that you complain to tend to be other lifters who know what hard training feels like. But you're literally there for fun. It's your hobby. Training will be hard. And the reason that... Or not the reason... I don't want to impose on you the reason that you like training. But probably one of the reasons that you like the process of training is because you challenge yourself with things that are difficult. And then for that challenge, you're rewarded with some type of return, either an improvement in strength or your physique or a lesson about yourself or something and the sort of accumulation of your work is realized at the end by an increase in something that you find valuable, which is, you know, your strength or your physique or your performance or something like that. But the whole point 
is that it's hard and that it's engaging with something willfully difficult of your own volition. And I really don't like the attitude of people where they spend all their time sort of, you know, whether it's tongue-in-cheek or not, mired in negativity about their hobby. Like, if you don't like it and you don't, like, and you find it really hard and it's genuinely unenjoyable, don't do it or do it less. Do something else. Yeah, um, or find or find someone who's going to find a program or someone who's that's more suitable to you that you will enjoy. Yeah, 100%. Like, you're in there for your enjoyment. So, actually focus on you know, when you say, wow, training is hard, you can also think, you know, what's good about it being hard? Like, what am I learning? What am I getting out of this? And if you honestly can't find something, like time to quit or change the way you do it. But nobody else in any other hobby that is like subjectively or objectively harder spends as much time complaining. Like there are people who free climb mountains who don't come down and go, oh, fucking, it's so hard climbing mountains these days. Like yeah, surfers no- don't whinge about the cold all the time. They get stoked about surfing. Musicians don't say my fingers hurt or my ears are hurting or something. They are stoked about playing music. Like yeah, just, basketball players don't complain about shooting free throws. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, I've got friends who are keen basketballers. Alex is one of them. And like, you know, they don't come up and say my ankles hurt from playing ball for six hours yesterday. They say it was sick yesterday. I got to play basketball for six hours. And like, they're tired and they're laid out. But like, whatever, mm. you know, um, I just don't think it's a really nice attitude to engage with your hobby on. Especially when we're trying to bring more people into the sport. Um, if If all that people looking into the sport see is people complaining about the sport why would more people do the sport yeah um and again like 100 percent get that a lot of the time people are joking and i like i will tongue-in-cheek say to people all the time like oh, gee, training's hard i'm still shit at it and sort of roll my eyes but underlying that i always like to think what it is i'm doing what i'm learning why i enjoy it you know and constantly whenever i see myself lift and do something good or i look in the mirror and think you know god i'm handsome and i have a great um, <laughs> every time i catch my own reflection um no when i do that i also like to think that it comes back to something that i'm doing entirely volitionally so please don't complain that much you'll probably enjoy it more if you don't complain i'm with you there bro anything to add no nah. all right um that pretty much wraps up the all episode, right let's do it? one through eight number one Oh. Don't justify being too fat. Number Are you two. remembering these just off the top of your head? Yeah, that's sick. Number, Number two, two don't rest- try and re- don't restrict yourself to weight class when you don't need to and when you're not really competitive. Number three, a train with variety. Number three, b train with different. I don't know. It's <laughs> just because we smushed this one. So your one was little undulation in volume, specificity, and intensity. Mine was unnecessary minimalism, not doing general work and specializing too early. So that's, yeah. Okay, four. What was four? Uh, four was, this is like it become a pop quiz. Yeah, well, you were remembering all of them. Four was, before we took a break, was, I can't remember. It was jumping from coach to coach. Oh, yeah, okay, jumping from coach to coach. Five? Do you remember this one? No, I've forgotten them all now. Okay. Five was copying technique and programming from the elite. Six was always being on. Seven was smushed with three. Eight was rival fed bashing and elitism. And then nine was... No, we're calling this eight things. So seven was... a Seven was already tied back. So... No, no. Seven seven was fed bashing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And (laughs) eight was complaining. Yes. All right. Sick. Well, that's Weekly Ways for the week. Alex, do you have any final thoughts? I'm just happy to be back on the podcast. I've missed you, Will. Yeah, glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, next week we've got Jamie Smith coming back on. 
we have to find a time to record with him. But we've got Jamie Smith coming back on. He spoke to us um, a while ago about sort of like movement assessment and things in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we called it. Yeah, assessing movement in powerlifters, I think was what it was called. Yeah, so we're going to go in-depth on the shoulder especially and talk about, um, you know, the bench press and how we can sort of optimize the bench press using what we know about the shoulder anatomically. So it should be good. All right, peace out. Have a good week. Bye.